Father, we bless you tonight. Thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and an understanding heart. We rejoice in it and thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose, number one, us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be, two, holy, three, without blame, before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, there's a really key issue with walking in the Lord in the last days. His will versus our will. So the issue of submission, the issue of yielding to the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Word. And it's really a two-edged sword, but that's the path. And it's, it's the path of development. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 12, 13, and 14, these are the sons of God. All right, so when Jesus was told in uh, Matthew 12, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside, they want to talk to you, his response who are my mother, my sisters, and my brother? These who do the will of God. Now, Jesus actually defines his family for us. And he said, it's not who gave me birth. That's not my family. It's not my brothers. My family are those who do the will of God. Now, that tells you something. Within the church, there is an elite community, a family. A much smaller number than people who walk in the door. There is? Yeah, there is. And the qualification is, whenever there's a conflict, do you bow your knee to the Spirit and go with Him over what you want to do. Well, I say, some, some of us hit it more than we miss it. Some of us really try. And so all God asks us to do is, hey, when you recognize you miss it, what do you do? Epistrepho, about face, metanoia, repent, change your mind. Sorry, God, missed that one. Forgive me. Uh, let me go back. Make it right. We'll try to get it straight. So in the issue of the family of God, both by the definition of Christ and by the abundance of Scripture, I mean, from Romans to Ephesians, you can hardly read an epistle and not bump up against this issue. There are those who yield, and there are those who are a little more stubborn, and it takes them a little longer to get there. And it seems like God has grace for everybody, and it seems like that in His foreknowledge of our call, we are allotted a period to grow up. We're allotted a season to grow. Well, that season appears to be closing. What do you mean by closing? What I mean is, based on what I'm hearing God say, He is starting to put a demand on the church to shoulder some stuff that we haven't thought we would have to shoulder. How many of you have seen that movie, AOC Network, Two Witnesses? The movie. Oh, yeah. Let me try that again. 
<laughs> I'm not talking in tongues. This is English. I'm actually speaking here. I feel like that's right now. There is a movie we recommended because it fits in with what we were doing. Plus, it's a game-changer movie for anybody who has grown up in the last 30 or 40 years. It's a game-changer. I mean, it's... It just flat takes you into a spiritual revelatory shift. And it's done by the AOC Network, and it's simply called Two Witnesses, the movie. It's on YouTube. So anybody who gets YouTube.com, Two Witnesses, the movie, it comes up. All right. How many of you have seen it? Let me see your hand. Four of us. Four of us. I'm debating on how much to hurt you tonight. <laughs> not whether or not to hurt you, but how much. Go back that first about the, you know, the leaf time that God gives us to go over. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm speechless. That's it. I'm coming here tomorrow night with something a lot stronger than what's in here. No, I remember another time when I was speechless. I'm preaching, and I look out there, and there's a cheese head, a cheese hat, a triangular cheese hat, sitting on somebody in the congregation. That was the first time I was speechless in this congregation. I've had many more. Now, I won't even ask you to guess who had the cheese hat on, because I would be willing to bet that the majority of you in here could come up with the answer. <clears throat> Don't push the button unless you're ready to get what comes after it. Hallelujah. You know how that works. Some wise person once said, Don't ever poke the guy with the microphone because he pokes back. Okay. <laughs> I think he's sitting right here. The first guy I heard say that. Oh, hallelujah. All right, guys. I guess I'll give you grace, but not a whole lot. I mean, you know, if you're going to think straight for what's coming, you need to think, you, you need to let God shift what you've been taught about eschatology. I mean, do you have any idea how many people in the church are hiding behind the rapture right now? Hiding behind it, meaning they believe it's coming so they don't have to do anything. Because God's taken me out of here. What if God's taken you through because you're a chosen witness? Now what? Uh, now, you're probably headed for the better resurrection of Hebrews 11. And so those last verses of Hebrews 11 are now really important. Because even if we die before that comes we have to prepare those who follow us. That means our kids and our grandkids. Now, there was one last verse this morning that I didn't get in. I mean, I had it. I penciled it in during worship. I penciled it in my notes. All right? And so I thought, oh, I've got to remember to do this. 
But you know how when you get rolling in the spirit and you just, yeah. So anyway, I was reliving my Navy flight days right there. Then somebody had to tell me to get back on track. Focus, focus, focus. <laughs> that was cheating. <laughs> you... <laughs> oh, geez. Somebody knows me well. All right. <laughs> I thought, gee, the counselor's in the house. <laughs> the shrink is alive and well and operational. So anyway, this is a verse, a passage that the Lord spoke to me about two weeks ago when I got off the plane in cross planes. The Lord, no, no. He gave it to me at altitude. This is when I got at altitude. And he, he told me where to go. And he said, uh, go over to Isaiah chapter 40 and start reading. So I went over to Isaiah 40 and started reading 40, 41, 42, 43, familiar territory, 44. All of a sudden, I hit 44. Isaiah 44. And... The Lord said, now, right now, I want you to pay attention to these verses because, everybody say because, because you are in a transition. Because you are in a transition. And the number one thing you're concerned about in this transition is God, how do I get my kids and grandkids to the place where they can shoulder what's coming. And the Lord said to me, that's your chief issue. That's your chief concern. That's your chief worry. And he said, here's what I want you to do. And then when I got down, I started thinking about this. Well, Lord, I'm not the only one. We're all in transition. So this is not a word just for me and my family. This is a word for everybody in here, all right, who is in the same transition that I'm in. I mean, God led us into this. That's why we're doing this thing, the unusual thing that we're doing with this series of meetings. And God has consistently confirmed what we are doing. I mean, that movie was a major confirmation of what we are doing. And God has just kept... Giving, like when I got off the, like what I shared this morning. I didn't get that until I got here. I mean, I got off the plane and God speaks to me. I didn't get it until I got right here. So the, this right in West Texas is the first place that word was released. Pay attention to where I give you stuff because it means something. I trust the heart of the people that they are willing to walk in it. Now, God might be reconsidering that since there's only four of us in here that watch that YouTube movie. <laughs> might be. Maybe not. Maybe he graced you with a few more days. Uh, all right. But now listen. Everybody, look at somebody and say, two witnesses. Two witnesses. All right. Now, as we, as I read Isaiah 44, I want you to think about that. Think about the two witnesses. Okay, what do we know about these two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, which is what we looked at today? I mean, this this is the whole reason why we were adopted. We were adopted so we can walk in this. This is the this is the anointing that makes the Jew jealous. 
because every single Jewish person is trained in Passover. They know Passover. They know Moses. Passover is what birthed their nation. They did not become a nation. They did not get delivered from bondage until God killed all the firstborn of Egypt. And then he said, on the day that I killed all the firstborn, I sanctified all the firstborn of Israel, man and beast, unto me. Hallelujah. Right there. Firstborn, sanctified unto me. Well, if if God has has two adopted families... And the first one walks away from him three times. And he says to the second one, you get the blessing of the firstborn. It's in Isaiah 56. It's in Romans 11. And it's with that blessing. You provoke the Jew to jealousy and save him in the last days. All right. But what does that cost? You got to what? You have to show them what they already know. You have to show them the anointing that was on Moses. And it's right here. And in verse 3, I will give exousia, authority, to my two witnesses. All right? And what are they going to do? Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in days of their prophecy. They have power over water to turn them to blood. Anybody in the Bible do that? Moses, all right? You do that, and everybody knows where that came from. Anybody who's Jewish, I mean, they got it. To strike the earth with all plagues, oh my, who does that? Well, all the prophets in Scripture, Elijah, Elisha, as often as they desire. Now, when they finish their testimony, then then, uh, this spirit comes out of the bottomless pit, and they... Forfeit their life. They give their life. They, their lives are laid down in martyrdom. And, and they are resurrected. And they get to ascend. They get the best resurrection there is in the Bible. And what if your kids are called to that? How do you think you're ever going to get your kids ready for this? How in the world are you ever going to communicate this to your grandkids? Hence, hence, one more confirmation two weeks ago. Hey, you're on the right path. When I got off the airplane, boom, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, okay, here it is. The Lord said, do this, turn them over to me, because. Do Pray this, turn your kids and grandkids over to me, because. Now, would you smile at somebody and say, I wonder what the because is? Because. I wonder what the because is. Now, if the because has something to do with that movie, I highly recommend you go home and turn on YouTube with your Bible. One hour and 17 minutes. And he goes through every verse that pertains to the two witnesses in Revelation 11, 3 through 8. And he explains it. But 
what if this is all true, if what we're doing here is really God, and He has sort of shifted the seasons on us, and He sort of took the rapture away, and now He's replacing it with the fact that we are going to have to walk like Moses, because that's the only way you provoke the Jews to jealousy and get them in. If, if we're the ones that have to shoulder the firstborn of Israel, the double, if we're the ones that are ordained for the double, double portion, that's what it meant to be firstborn. You got a double portion of inheritance. Elisha, what do you want? Elijah said. Elisha, I want a double portion of the anointing that's on you. I want the right of the firstborn. There's only one person that despised it in all of Scripture. And I'm telling you, when you look out at the church today, you've got to wonder if it doesn't look more like Esau than it does Elisha. Wherever you go, I go, I will not stay here. Elisha, the Lord has sent me. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not staying here. Where you go, I go. You going somewhere, Holy Spirit, I'm going with you. You shifting, you starting to move somewhere, I'm going with you. Not give me a week, give me a month, give me a day. Give me some space. I'm going with you now. That's the only way you can make sure you're there to see. You're there at the moment of the shift. You've got to yield and go with you. Train yourself. It's not easy. Because it's an it's a issue of priority. And of reprioritizing stuff in your life. It's kind of like a test. Smile at somebody and say, be Cause. Be cause. Give your kids to me. Pray this. You won't have to worry about them. Be cause. The answer of because is here, and we're going to read it. Start in verse 1, Isaiah 44. Yet hear now, Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Chosen. Anybody here chosen? Yeah, chosen. That's us. Number one, sonship gift number one. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, chosen, chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. Circle verse three. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. And my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. One will say, I'm the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. I, you will see the day in your kids and grandkids, when what comes out of their mouth is what my Spirit has revealed to them. What you have learned to live in, you speak what the Spirit has revealed to you. I have learned to live there. That's my life. That's my call before God. 
That's what it means to be a prophetic teacher. You hear what God says, you find out, you connect the dots. That's the first thing He says. Here, look, look, look at verse, look this word up. Separate. Pa, la. Connect the dots. Oh my gosh, it's a verb. Pa, la. It ends in a, it ends in a covenant. The pala, that's a verb that only appears seven times. And God taught it to Moses. And what's the first thing he taught him about pala? I have chosen to make a difference between my family and unbelievers. I have chosen you to make a difference. And not a negative difference. Not an adversity difference. A saving, delivering, providing difference. Now you change your mind. Change how you think. Reprogram your mind with that understanding of what it means to be adopted in God's family. And all of a sudden, you are Jewish and you have a different expectation. Your faith will start to produce something much different than your experiences in the past. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You change, if you want to change your life, you change what you think and you change what you say. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. You start agreeing with the Word of God. The first thing you do to change your life is you reprogram. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think this way. Change your thinking. You're concerned about your kids. You can't figure out how to get your kids into this. My God, it's taken 44 years to get you to the point where you can accept it. So how in the world am I going to bring them into it? They don't have my heart to study. And they haven't spent the thousands of hours in the Word that I have. Man, there is no way. Unless you can zip open their head and pour it in. I mean, nobody can do that. Except God, maybe. But He won't. Because that's the cheap way. He said, if you want this, you're going to want it bad enough to do it. You're going to want it bad enough to memorize these verses. You're going to want it bad enough to believe it, act on it, speak it out your mouth, stand on it yourself. One will say, I'm the Lord's. Another will call himself for the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself for the name of Israel. Whoa, God, I want that transition. I want to see my kids out their mouth saying what they hear you whisper by your spirit in their heart. And shoulder it and put faith to it and actually believe it. Now that's the transformation. I'd die and come back for it. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I'm the first, I'm the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order before me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Everybody say, because, because, because. Because, 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 because. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. You know why you don't have to worry about your kids? Because they are the seed I wanted, and they are my witnesses also. And just like you are my witnesses, 
I appointed a time to show you what that means for the last days. I appointed a season for you to grow into mature, to shoulder it and say, oh, I have to make some changes. This is going to be different than I thought. It's going to be a little more costly than I thought. But I gear up for it right now. And when it's time to lay this life down, nobody's taking it from me because I committed it to the Lord. I get to choose. He alerts me when I finish the race, and then and only then do I lay it down. That's in Christ. That's the blessing of Christ for you and I. All our days were numbered before we had seen yet one of them. Numbered with a purpose to demonstrate the anointing that Moses walked in. Because that's the only thing you don't have to explain to a Jew. They're trained in Passover. They know what birthed their nation. And when they see it, it will provoke them to jealousy and they will come in. God said, pray for your kids. These eight verses. Clear it over your grandkids. And know this. From this day on, know this. They are my witnesses. Oh, no wonder I don't have to worry about it. God, they're your witnesses. You shed a lot of blood to get a Jewish harvest in the last days, to graft the nation back in. You know how to put your word inside your witnesses. Your spirit can do that in a heartbeat. And you're going to do it for our kids. That's the because. Because, just like you, they are my witnesses. Now, once you watch that movie, you're going to go, I get it, God. I get it. I get it. I don't have to worry about this. That's right. You don't have to carry the burden of it. Because it's already blood bought. But I'll tell you what. That then sets us up for number five. Sonship gift number five. Ephesians chapter one, verse six. To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has. Now, if you're in Ephesians 1, 6, this is where you see, if you could read it in Greek, it, you would, what you would read is, car E2O, car E2O. Now, they translated, has made us accepted. But it's the double. Now, what's a little frustrating about car E2O is it only appears three times in the whole New Testament. So, has made us accepted? What the heck does that mean? If it only appears three times in the New Testament, then, shoot, that, that's kind of a sparse uh, 
example to go look. We, we only got one example to go look at to figure out how God has applied CAR E2O before and then to draw conclusions about what it means. And that's in Luke chapter 1. And the guy who utters it just happens to be an archangel. And it's not Michael. It's Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Please look at somebody and say, what does it mean to be accepted by God? What does it mean to be accepted? Accepted. What? Not my definition accepted, God's definition. What is God's definition of our acceptance? That's what we want. We don't want man's definition. I mean, we, we, we can get a dictionary and look up accepted. Webster is available for anybody who wants to get one. I don't want Webster's definition. And I sure as heck don't want Google. God gave me this message once. Is Google your God? And that was fun to preach. For my generation. Yeah, very offensive to everybody else. But certain truth there. All right, now look. God, what is your definition? What does it mean to be accepted? The angel Gabriel sent to Galilee to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, verse 28, Rejoice, car e two one Rejoice, Mary. You're accepted. What does your Bible say? Highly favored. Called for a purpose. Now, here's your second question. How is it Mary got one car E2O and you and I in Christ get two? We get the double two. Is this another one of those hidden statements about the firstborn? That you you've got to shoulder stuff. Mary didn't. Mary didn't have shoulder martyrdom. She lived out her life in honor. And when Jesus died. Told John from the cross, Behold, your mom, translation, take care of her. So when Paul died, Apostle Paul died, John took Mary and moved to Ephesus and began to pastor the seven churches that Paul founded of Revelation chapter 2. The Apostle John inherited those. He took Mary with him. And so... The number one church in those days was Ephesus. Pinnacle Revelation. They had pinnacle everything. If anybody at Ephesus wanted to know what was Jesus like, they just took Mary out to lunch. They had the best. What do you do with this? 
What do you do with the fact that one of the most revered women of all history gets one car E2O and every single one of us in Christ get two? That's like a double acceptance. What are we going to face that we need to know that we know that we know that we're accepted? Well, because there are only three of these in the New Testament, I only have one other place to go to try to broaden my understanding on this. And that is I have to go all the way back to the Old Testament and then I have to look up, okay, where's accepted first appear in Scripture? Ha-ha. Genesis chapter 4. Oh, boy. Yo. Yeah, that's a uh-oh is right. Genesis 4 verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife. She conceived, bore Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, there are only two words in this context that even give you a hint as to why. And again, it's just a hint. You can't really draw a conclusion on it because it's a hint of why Abel's offering was respected and Cain's was not. All right? And that hint is the first of the flock or the best of the flock and the fat. So the first and the fat, which seems to indicate the best and the biggest. So you can only, it's just a hint, so you don't know for sure, but the only conclusion that you can gain from the text is as to why that uh, Abel's offering was respected, he brought the biggest and the best of all that he had, and it, it doesn't say that about Cain. So, other than that, we don't know for sure. So the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Verse 7, circle it. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and this desire is for you, but you should rule, exercise dominion over it. Now, the Hebrew word here for accepted is say Oth, S-E-Y-A-T-H, say Oth. When you go over to um, Psalm 62, you find it. Now, why, why are we going to Psalm 62? Because it gives us a hint about uh, accepted. All right. Now, this is how you study the Word. All right. This is how you try to broaden out a topic and a subject. Hallelujah. And so, for some reason I ended up in Isaiah 62 instead of Psalm 62. All right, here we go. Psalm 62, look at, look at verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you. 
like a leaning wall and a tottering fence, they only consult to cast him down from his, verse 4, circle, his high position. It is the same Hebrew word, say F. Now, what does this passage say? This passage says, when you find acceptance in God, you are so dangerous to the enemy that he will send everything he can to make sure he destroys it. He destroys your belief that you've been accepted by God. You are so dangerous at that point, he declares full-scale war on your life. I wonder why. What does acceptance lead to? Faith. It leads to faith that you can do everything Moses did. Faith that you can do everything Jesus did. That's why the whole book of Ephesians starts out saying, this is the hope of your calling. You can have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus had. Once you experience acceptance, Mary got one, we got two. It's a pretty important deal. For some reason, it is super important in the last days. And my conclusion, based on going back to the Old Testament and studying it through the Old Testament, the reason why you got two, the reason why it's so important is that once your heart is established in that, there's nothing in this word you can't do, nothing in this scripture you can't believe, nothing in this scripture you can't, you can't act on and watch God perform. Once you know you're accepted, you are the most dangerous person on the planet to the devil and his kingdom. It'll make a difference what anybody says. Uh, when you have when you know God, when you have acceptance before God, you know your prayer will move His hand. That's what all the prophets said. That's what Jesus said. What did acceptance produce for Christ? Okay, here He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter is going to defend Him, and here comes the high priest, and Peter. Takes a swing. And you can see the high priest duck like this, and boom. That's the only way you can cut somebody's ear off and not take their shoulder with it. You got a duck like this. It's the only way you can just get somebody's ear. You got a duck like this. It's got to go. Peter was going for his head, man. He was going to take his head off. <laughs> get on you, Peter. If you're going to fight, fight the man. And always go for the first blow. Oops. We don't want to revert to that. Sorry about that. <laughs> My Navy days popped up there. Once in a while it happened. Oh, shoot. Once you know you're accepted, Jesus said, Peter, stop. Do you not know that I could ask my father and he would send... Twelve legion. You do realize the Roman army only had 30? That was it. The whole Roman army. The sum and substance and total of their power, 30 legions. And these aren't legions of men. These are legions of angels. 
one of which takes down 185,000, and that's just getting his sword wet. Twelve legions, it's over. Do you not know that I could ask my father for twelve? Oh, man, what can you do once you get a revelation of acceptance? Anything God wants you to. Anything, anywhere to anybody. Nothing is impossible to you. If you learn to live in the acceptance that God has bought and paid for by the blood, nothing is impossible to us in the days ahead. We have to get established in this. We don't have a choice. God has ordained this for us. And look at the level of warfare that comes. Once a man starts to get established in this, all of hell marshals against him. How long will you attack a man until we knock the acceptance out of him? That's the passage. <laughs> they only consult. They consult. I mean, this, they consult to cast him down from his acceptance, to kill, destroy the acceptance that he's found. They delight in lies. They will bless with their mouth. They will curse inward. They'll do anything to destroy that acceptance that those demons see you start to walk in. You know. You know once you get established in acceptance, the kingdom of the enemy is under your feet. Hallelujah. you got access to angels. you got access. I mean, it's a matter of just walking out. Uh, walking it out day by day with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. All right. Now, we're not through over in Genesis chapter 4. All right. Because God goes on then to identify the number one enemy that the nation has, one that you and I are going to have to address if we're going to gain a harvest and not lose it in judgment. All right. Verse uh, 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. All right. Innocent blood has a voice. Everybody say that. Innocent blood has a voice. Innocent blood has a voice. And it cries out. Once it's shed, it cries out. How many innocent voices are crying out for judgment on America right now? Millions. Millions. I've heard 65. I've heard 70. I've heard various estimates of how many. Yeah. Verse 11. So now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be in the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day before the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anybody who finds me will kill me. 
And the Lord said, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him might kill him. All right, now, most of us know that story. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 9 and pick it up in verse 1. Why? We're tracing something here. We're tracing the, the issue of innocent blood and what to do about it when you and I come into acceptance. So how do we forestall the obvious judgment and gain a harvest out of the nation? Because that's a major issue. Truth of the matter is, that's why Donald Trump's in office, because he's the only one who scared the Chinese and the Russians, our chief enemies, and Iran, and North Korea, 9-1, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you should be on every beast of the earth, on every bird in the air, every moving thing, verse 3, that lives should be food for you. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. From the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made him. And as for you, be fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply. What is the number one issue in America today, right? The shedding of innocent blood and the accumulation of it in the land. I mean, that is the thing that you talk about a pencil thread uh, uh, width between us and judgment. That is it, except for the mercy of God. Except for the blood of Jesus that has already bought a harvest out of this nation. Which gives us the authority to say, God, we invoke your covenant of sure mercy of the United States of America. Have mercy on this nation now. Cut off every legislative voice that champions the shedding of innocent blood. Reverse the Supreme Court decision on abortion. Who is putting in judges who will do that right now? This president. God is already on this issue. Why? Because it has to be addressed in order to gain our harvest out of the land and because this nation has been charged prophetically with a major part in Israel's development. We, it looks like, are the eagle of Revelation 12. And Israel is given two wings of a great eagle as protection until they can be grafted in, until they can be saved. And America has provided all the weapons. They're already on site. They're already over there. They have already prepared for Armageddon. And it's American weapons, it's American money, it's American wealth that put them over there. Why? Because this nation shouldered its call of God toward the last great end-time harvest. And God said, for that reason, I will honor this nation and I will use it to harvest the nation's Here we are, guys. Here we are. It's only because of God's great mercy and the prophetic call on this nation that we are where we are right now. But guess what else that means? 
God is saying, you guys have played church long enough. You are my witnesses. And I am done. I am done putting up with perversion. I'm done putting up with the shedding of innocent blood. I'm starting to address it. Now it's time for you to stand up in the full measure of my anointing. It's time for the church to demonstrate who Christ is as a judge of all the earth. They almost all know Jesus as Savior, but they don't know him as judge. And that is the open door to the last great salvation when deep darkness is on the people. We've already looked at that. Five times it's prophesied. The terror of the Lord is what opens those eyes. Whoo! Where does this start? We, in accept, when we walk into acceptance, all of a sudden your heart will germinate any promise in this book. Because you've got nothing condemning you in your heart. Your heart has been persuaded you're accepted by God. Once God accepts you, who gives a you-know-what what anybody thinks? It don't make any difference what anybody thinks. Once you've got God's acceptance, it's settled. It's over. It's done. I don't have to please anybody but you, Lord. It's on. It's on. Oh, man. Is it ever on? And it is on right now over this issue, church. I'm absolutely convinced this is the foundation of our transformation. And and what says it's a foundation? The double. The double. Kari tuo, kari tuo. I mean, it's just this blinking neon sign in Greek that says, I did this for you because of what you're going to face in the last days. You're the key to my end time harvest. You've got to come out in boldness. You've got to come out like the resurrected Christ. You've got to live Psalm 110, which Peter referred to. Peter was trying to define the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And what does he quote? Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Shall I make your enemies your footstool? The Lord shall send the rod of his strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. You rule. You know what you got to love about David's mighty men? They would walk out. Several of them did this. Walk out in the middle of the field, plant their spear, and say, All right, boys, this belongs to God. If you think you can take it away from me, come on. Joshab Bathshebeth. I think. I get lost in those names. Okay. I think he's the one that downed 800. 800. They caught David's anointing. Where did David catch it? Got it from God. What do you got to fear when you can do that? There's nothing to fear. If the breath of your lips will slay the wicked... Is there anything to be afraid of? No. Because if they want to try to end your life before you finish your race, they're the ones going down, not you. 
acceptance here does that for you. Now, I know a little bit about acceptance because I've been in heaven twice and I walked around up there. I got a dose. Now, it's easier for me than it is for you because I've been there. I rubbed shoulders with the saints. And man, there was no, but there was no rejection. It didn't exist. There wasn't anybody up here and anybody back. I mean, you talk about equality. You talk about judicial equality. Everybody knew we were there by grace. It was universal. It's amazing. They got it. God says my church is going to get it before you get there. I got a dose of that while I was there. I can pray over you and impart that. It just dawned on me. I hadn't thought of it until now. <laughs> Shoot. You know, I keep Every once in a while I ask God, why did you put me through that? Because that was not easy getting there. And when I got there, I wanted to stay. Because I, I spent 30 days in the hospital, and every night I'd wake up hallucinating. I thought I was in a garage somewhere. The majority of the time, I thought I was in the garage, some, somebody's garage, with all these lights going on. I mean, I was so doped up and medicated just, you know, to keep me from the pain and the agony of all the stuff that was going on. Shoot. I want to tell you what. It's not fun losing your colon. It's not fun having God rebuild your body parts. <laughs> it's not fun having to wear a bag for four months. It's not fun having to go through the reversal and taking another 21 days in the hospital because the other system shuts it down and goes to sleep. I'm telling you, that walking and getting the revelation of some of this stuff is not fun. But God has purpose. And when He has purpose, He redeems what you go through. Because you come out of it changed. You come out of it fearless. There's nothing to fear in this earth. Also, you come out and there's nothing in the earth that appeals to you. I mean, once you've been up there, I traveled with a guy for two years who died toe-tagged dead. The pastor who ordained me resurrected him. Marvin Ford was his name. He was a worship leader for um, the Pentecostal Billy Graham. He was a Texan. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. I saw him give his testimony. 2,000 Methodists came forward in Brazil. I mean, you come back to the United States, he was dead, flat, no anointing. He got up in front of an American congregation. I mean, he went to sleep. I said, God, what is this? He's not in his metron. He's out of his metron in America. The American church can't hear this yet. They don't have a need to hear this yet. He's ahead of his time in America. His anointing is on the road. His anointing is in other nations. Man, I learned something about God. You've got to go where, where your anointing is. And, and you better not go where it isn't. And there's the key. Find out what God's called you to do and just give yourself to that. And don't go because you'd like to. Don't go because your wife wants you to. Don't go because your kids would think it'd be nice. You find out what God wants, and that's what you stick to. Come on, church. You can do that. You can do this. You can walk this out. Once you get to acceptance, I'm telling you, watch out. Because 
Yeah. When you pray, God's hand moves. That is the place of acceptance. When you pray, you don't just pull a trigger in prayer on stuff you want. You temper it. You, you walk in the Spirit and you let Him guide and direct everything you do, including what you ask for. Now, as you learn to walk that, as you embrace that bit and bridle, then what you pray for, you start to see the hand of God move. The Lord challenged me when I'm sitting in front of Fox News and the Lord challenged me. And he said, well, you can spend the rest of your life watching other people make the news. You can turn that off, walk with me, and create it yourself. Your choice, son. What do you want? I said, all right, God. Goodbye to Fox News for a season. Now, you call me to this, so I better see some of my prayers on the front page. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's nothing like taking on the number one successful corporation in America because they're funding perversion in Seattle because the owner gave a million dollars to champion gay marriage in Seattle. And you see it on the front page while you're, you're at a seat in the Seattle airport and God says, what are you going to do about that? I said, well, I don't know Jeff Bezos. I don't know, you know, I don't know anybody at Amazon.com. What are you going to do about it? I'm saying, God, what, what are you trying to say? Are you going to let that stand? No, Lord, I'm not going to let that stand. That's abominable. In the name of Jesus, I bring Amazon.com before your throne. Angel of the Lord, you go visit that place and put a dent in their bottom line. In Jesus' name. And keep the dent in their bottom line until there's some change. They went into a nine-month tailspin. And it was on the front page. Lasted nine months. One prayer, one guy, not thinking he could do anything, didn't know anybody there. You kidding me? One guy, one prayer, nine months. Oh, church, are you kidding me? You have any idea what's ahead of us? When that says, my witnesses have authority to stop the rain. That was an agrarian economy. It's agricultural. No rain is, I mean, you're grinding the economy to a halt. That authority is already here. What triggers it? Acceptance. Acceptance. I mean, I, I only learned this by God getting in my face. Literally. In my face. Got in my face in Waco. He's gotten in my face in more places than I can count. What are you going to do about this? Nancy Pelosi's in town to get another million dollars out of her favorite uh, charity to advance abortion. A million dollars to kill kids. Paper comes under my door. God says, what are you going to do about that? Nothing. I left California to get away with that Jezebel witch. Give me a break. California is a Jezebel factory for politicians. It just created them. God said, what are you got? The third time I figured, uh-oh, now I'm hooked. I don't have a choice. i got to find out what I'm supposed to do. Read it. Oh, the foundation's right down there. 
I want you to go down from the... They're raging against me from north, south, east, and the west. You come against that. And you command that to cut off. Either turn, Lord, save this leader, or cut him off. Before 12 months went by, he's dead and gone. What are you going to do about this? Church, do you realize we have been trained to turn the other cheek and enable evil? We have not been trained to stand up and put the brakes on it. But when God says, you are my witnesses, what he's saying is, I'm calling you to put the brakes on some stuff. And it starts with your understanding you're accepted. Faith comes when you know you're accepted. There's no voice saying you can't do this. As a matter of fact, there's the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, what are you going to do about this? Oh, man, I've heard that voice more than I can count. Go to Psalm 110. Uh, shoot. Let's just cut to the chase. I mean, I could spend another hour. No, not going to do that. Just go to Psalm 110. This, Psalm 110, is what happened when you and I got the Holy Spirit. Right here. According to Peter, Psalm 110. Now, this is what you and I are going to walk out. When you're accepted, this is what you qualify for. This is what you walk out. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And all you got to do is read David's mighty men. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. I want to tell you, once you start putting a dent in defending evil, and once you start transferring resources from one place over the other. I mean, you guys out here in the oil field, give me a break. You get authority over that oil. You can tell it. If it's producing a funding evil where it is, put a stop to it. Well, how do you do that? By faith in His Word. All right, you asked the question, so I'm going to tell you. Hold your place here. We're coming right back to Psalm 110. Go to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Is this important? Yes, it's important. Deuteronomy 32. How do you, how do you stop oil from funding evil? Well, here, here's the foundation. The foundation of it is this. Why did God put oil in the ground in Texas, in Alaska, why did God put more oil in America than any other nation in the earth? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we are called to harvest nations. And the enemy is stealing the resources and the church is sitting here silent. But once you know you're accepted, all right, it starts right here. 32. Verse 7, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, he will show you, your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, do you know what number 8 is in this list of 9? You have an inheritance from Christ. And your inheritance from Christ is authority over the resources in the earth. It's exousia. It is covenantal biblical authority to change things in the earth. 
to stop the funding of evil and to release the funding of righteousness. Start a business. Pray it into blessing. And watch God fund His end-time harvest. All right. Verse 9. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the place of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, instructed him, kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up his nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him. There was no foreign god with him. He made him ride on the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, oil, 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 from the flinty rock. He made him draw oil from the flinty rock. Where did God put oil? Why did God put oil there? When He established the earth, when He endowed the earth with resources, He did it according to the number of the sons of God, the sons and daughters of the Most High. He did it for your call. He did it for the call on this church. He did it in order to fund the ministries of this house. He did it to fund the vision of this house. Now, if it's funding evil, you have the authority to dry it up and move it. Or pray the corporations into either a change of heart or bankruptcy. You can do it, church. It starts knowing this. Who put the resources here? It wasn't the devil. Was it? Who created the earth? God did. He put the resources here, and He did it according to the number of the sons of God. He allocated the resources according to your gifting and your call. And they are here, under your feet. And no stinking demon has a right to your inheritance the oil that's under this state. It belongs to God and it is subject to your prayer, your intercession. It is subject. You are a king and a priest to who? God. And when you see resources being stolen by an enemy, handcuff it. Lock it down. How many people do you pray... Where did you learn this? Right next door. Praying over the richest families in Midland. And I can tell you what I learned. It doesn't do any good to pray judgment on one Mammonite when he dies and passes it to his Mammonite kids. No advance in the kingdom. So you've got to pray that out of their hands. How many Jewish people are going to be jealous when they see their wealth start to evaporate? Oh, my God. That's what we're coming into. That's where this is going. That's what God has in mind. Now, once once you understand this, then you go to Romans 8 
And what do you find in Romans 8? I'm not going to go to Romans 8. You guys know the Scripture. The whole creation is groaning. What's it groaning for? The resources put in it are funding the devil. That's why it's groaning. And it's crying out and to the church, stop it. Stop it. Grow up into your sonship. Grow up into your covenant. Stop. Stop us from... You hear the cries. You know what David said in, in uh, uh, Isaiah 55? Can I, it, it, <laughs> this is about the sure mercies of David. David didn't say this. But this is about the sure mercies of David. All right? And here's what it says in Isaiah 55. Anybody who's ever in a faith movement knows Isaiah 55. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and does not return there, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And what will the creation do when you run out in the field? What do the trees of the field do when you run out there and you stop those resources from funding evil? They start to clap their hands. They start to give a clap offering back to God. Finally, finally, the sons of the Most High have stepped up in their authority. And they have stopped us from funding evil. And they have set us free to fund the gospel because that's what we were created for. Oh, man. And you're right here where you get to practice it. Church. This is Psalm 110 in Act. This is the foundation for Psalm 110. Psalm 110 gives you the authority to go out and do this stuff. And what does Psalm 10 say after you get through? The Lord shall send the rod of His strength out of Zion. Your people shall be volunteers. That's verse 3. In the day of your power. Well, I'd hope to shout. Who wouldn't volunteer to participate in this? In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord is sworn. He will not relent. You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What does priest do? Priest says, God, this is wrong, and only you can change it. Now change it. Either turn this company to fund righteousness or shut it down. Your choice. I'd rather they get saved, but if they're going to harden their heart, shut them down. Stop it right now. According to the order of Melchizedek, he was an eternal priest. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings. You know, when Moses said, hey, there's a place here by me. God said to Moses, God, Moses, there's a place here right by me. Come stand. It's safe. I'll put my hand. Listen to this verse. This is Psalm 110. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the nations. By the way, whose job is it to kindle the wrath of God? According to Psalm 2, it's ours. According to Psalm 2 and Romans chapter 12, it's our job. Create Romans 12:19. You can't take vengeance for yourself. Create a path for wrath. Show God what the Bible says about justice. Tell God, this is how justice comes. This is what I need for justice. They stole this. Now the enemy's got to return it seven times. This is what justice looks like. All right, God, let's see you do it. All right, there's your Melchizedek priesthood in action. God will remove anybody that will not line up. 
He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. And there's one version that says, he stands up with his people. Now, Psalm 110 is when you and I stand up in the power of the Spirit and we stop the theft of resources that the enemy is using to fund his kingdom. What is funding evil in D.C.? You ever notice how much money these politicians get to try to ensure their election so they can keep raping the treasury? And with one fell swoop, the election of Donald Trump nailed them on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> the Mammonite Republican and the perverse Democrat. God, church, look at this. This is our season, and what is the key to it? Acceptance. Your heart is the key. You know that you know that you know. Kar'ituo, kar'ituo has made us accepted. We know it. We know it here. Let's get it here. Let's get it here. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this people. Lord, in Jesus' name, turn the resources of this region to the funding of the gospel. In Jesus' name. And Father, ignite your people right now to recognize the thieves and in Jesus' name to pray them either into salvation or out of the way. And Lord, we thank you for that and we bless you for that. And we ask you that the very angels of God would go forth and get involved in this election. That, Father, the angels of the Lord would aid the righteous, would help all those who intend to vote for the righteous. And, Father, the angels of God would execute judgment on all those who intend to vote for the wicked. Take their wheels off, keep them from the poles in Jesus' name. Expose all their thefts and every, every treasonous uh, way to steal an election. Let it be overturned, let it be seen, and push them into the very pit that they have dug out. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask you for a wave. A wave that advances your kingdom in Jesus' name. Send a wave that advances your kingdom. And Lord, let the righteous be encouraged. When they get up on Wednesday morning, let the righteous be encouraged. Because they saw your intervention in this nation yet one more time. Father, we thank you for it. We bless you for it. We expect it in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. I want you to find three people, give them a hug, and say, you are accepted twice by God. The double. You're accepted twice. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Um.